0: Well, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles tonight to Zechariah chapter 4. And we're going to cover verses 1 through 7 as we um continue a study on the Holy Spirit. The first study we did was the Holy Spirit in us to change us and I pray that you would know that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and He wants to change you and conform you into the character of Jesus Christ. And then last week we spoke about the Holy Spirit leading us and so changing us and leading us. Uh, Today we're going to talk about being connected with the Holy Spirit. Because look what we read here in verse 1 of Zechariah 4. It says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And so I said, I am looking, and there is a lamp of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And so he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Here in Zechariah chapter 4, the Lord gives now a fifth vision to Zechariah, who ministered, scholars say, probably around 520 B.C. after the Babylonian captivity. Um, When you look at the setting here in Zechariah, what had happened was, Uh, They had uh, begun the rebuilding of the temple, but there had been a 16-year lapse. You can read Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, and you were able to put everything together. And uh, Zechariah and Haggai were contemporary prophets. Uh, Apparently, Haggai was an older guy, and uh, Zechariah and uh, Zerubbabel were young guys. And, as the Lord here was prophesying, what he was doing was he was correcting what he was doing was he was encouraging the children of Israel to finish the work and to build the temple. you know, and when you look at that, uh, it's kind of a, a weird thing, you know you would figure you wouldn't need the spirit of God to to build a building. But whenever a building or whenever a facility or whenever anything is uh, set apart, sanctified for ministry, for the glory of God, you're going to experience great opposition, which is what happened to them when they began to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans opposed them tooth and nail. The Samaritans influenced by Satan himself. Now, for us, you know, we may not be engaged in a building program. Who knows, maybe we will uh, right around the corner. But in one sense, there's other things that are being built. And, you know, one thing in particular is your life. Your life is being built. You know, there might be some of you here who have had a lapse in that building. And what God is saying is that in order to finish the work, and I'm going to finish the work, and you need to cooperate with me in this aggressively, is that the Holy Spirit has to be the one to do the work. Paul the Apostle, in writing to the Galatians, he said, you've begun in the Spirit. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Now, the interesting thing there in the book of Galatians was the the work of the flesh that they were trying to finish the work in was actually a religious activity. And sometimes we think that we are going to be, you know, done and discipled when we engage in religious activity. And you need to be so careful of that. You know, for the Galatians specifically, it was circumcision. And that was a noble thing, you know, to the Jews. And it was understanding within the culture that they lived in. But, you know, for us, we need to be so careful that, we don't be misled into thinking that, you know, we will do the work and we will grit it out. And through our determination, you know, we're going to make it happen. You've got to surrender to the Holy Spirit. You've got to open up and be sensitive to him. It's not the flesh. It's not the deeds of the flesh. It's not like the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, they had all the rules and regulations and they, you know, did them all. They were externally perfect, but internally corrupt. And Jesus said, your problem is you're just religious. you got a lot of rules and regulations. You strain at a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel because you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. And you see, we need to be so careful As the Lord has done a tremendous work in our life, he's begun a great work in us that we are spirit led. And when this Holy Spirit does a work in us in building this building that wants to bring God glory, you know, it's like this mountain, he says right here, it's going to be nothing. God's going to do the work. And one day when the capstone's there, and that's the last stone in the building, one day when it's finished, It's going to be a proclamation, a declaration so loud, it'll be a shout of what? Grace, grace, grace in our life. You see, when you get a good grip on grace and when you look at the Calvary Chapel movement and how it began, it was just built on the Holy Spirit and grace. And God did such a tremendous work. He took a bunch of guys that were really, you know, messed up. And, you know, they began their lives and he just rescued them. He saved them. They didn't have a whole lot of knowledge. And the only explanation was the Holy Spirit. But then what happens a lot of times is we get civilized. We get nice and neat and cozy and comfortable. We get into our routines and we trust the machine. And God says, no, you you can't. You've got to open up and you've got to be led by the Spirit. It's got to be the Spirit of God. And, you know, we're going to look at this because when the Spirit of God, you know, it comes into our life, it's so cool the way that He takes us. And here we are, and last week we saw the video, they huddle together and then they go and sit on the bench. And they huddle together and they go sit on the bench, you know. We want to huddle together. Right, And this is a beautiful huddle, it's a holy huddle, but we want to go out there on Mondays and Tuesdays and Fridays and work days and Target days and Vons days or wherever you are, traffic days, and we want to glow with the glory of God. And we want to lift that banner of expectation to say, no, not just in church do I put on the happy face or the holy face or the joyful face or the peaceful face. My family, my family should see the radiation of almighty God in my life because we're meditating on the fact that it's God who lives in us and it's got to be a radical thing. You know, I read a story uh, about a boy who was told by his father to go and clean his room. And so the little boy went into his room, and the father was pleased that his son had so swiftly begun to follow his orders. But about an hour later, the son came up to his dad and said, Dad, you're going to be so proud of me. And he said, really? He said, yeah, Dad. After you gave me your word, I went straight into my room, and I began to study your words. And I dissected every syllable, and I memorized the complete sentence, and I even translated it into several languages. Would you like to hear it, Dad? (laughs) And the dad said, sure, sure, but first, let me go check your room, To which the little boy replied, Dad, I've been so busy memorizing and studying and translating. You didn't expect me to actually do it, did you? (laughs) Yeah. When I read my Bible, I read radical things. And God expects us to do it. You know, it sounds kind of funny when you hear this story, but I would say it sounds kind of familiar, frequently happening in the church today. Here we are week after week, and thank God for that, studying his word, and there you are day after day. And I do hope and pray, like Joey said, you're in the word, and you're, you know, really seeking God, because that is so critical for our lives. But we must ultimately face the Father and answer his question, have you cleaned your room? Are you doing the things that I asked you to do? Tangible, practical, genuine difference. After all these days and for some of us years, are you putting into practice the precepts and principles of my word? And for some of you here, it's yes, not perfect, but profit. Proper, I see it, but for others, I'm afraid not. And I really do wonder why, you know, do we truly understand that our father expects us to follow through with these things? Do we realize that the son died so we could live like him? Have we grasped that the spirit lives in us and is willing to fill us and fall on us in order to help us clean our room in order to do what? To glorify God. You know, I know some of you here are really opening up and I've received some very cool testimonies and emails of what the Lord is doing, just leading you and changing you. And that's encouraging to me, you know, because I know the Lord changes us. I know the Lord leads us as we listen and we have that ear to hear personally and congregationally, especially scripturally. And what he does is he lays things on your heart. He tells you what to do. We have that type of personal relationship with God and he lays things on your heart. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 12, Nehemiah chapter 7 says, God put it in my heart to do this. And God puts it in our heart. You read the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit said to him, go and do that. And when you have that type of relationship and you're open to the Lord, he does great things. He even convicts your heart before you're a Christian to bring you to Christ, as well as convicting you after you're a Christian to be like Christ. John 16:18. You know it's so cool. How many of you here you, you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know? Consistently, persistently, there he is, reminding me of what my sin, that one right there. Which one is he identifying in your life? There's got to be something. You should be able to say it like this. This is the one that I'm dealing with right now. God, help me to overcome this. Because what he does is he convicts us of our sins in those conversations that I have with him. And they stab me like goads, Jesus said in Acts chapter 9, verse 5. See, the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on things and we need to surrender them to him. What's the Holy Spirit teaching you? What part of your heart is he touching in your life? Saying to you tonight, it's time It's time to change. It's time to surrender. You know, one of the things that, you know, I think we all probably could, you know, talk about is our prayer life. You know what? I was talking to some individuals the other day and we just got done with this really cool leadership class. We've got one more class left. And you know, what I was telling them, man, is that as leaders, especially as leaders, you got to be a good prayer. You got to know how to pray. You're going to have a great prayer life. You have to be able... That's the basic. I mean, that's like a baseball player not knowing how to run or catch or throw. You don't know how to pray? You're having a problem praying? I mean, we should have a really strong prayer life where these are the things that we bring to the Lord and this is the way we worship the Lord and this is just consistently and persistently being you know, brought up to God. And a lot of us here have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you're not even there yet. We really have to understand that God expects us to pray good, to be good at praying. And and there might be other things in your life, whatever it is. Maybe there's a certain individual that you just really, really struggle with. And, you know, God says, listen, I want you to really you know, take this to me and I want you to, you know, seek my face, ask him for wisdom. Lord, how, you know, the enemy is getting a foothold in my life and I really need to overcome this. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is teaching and touching. And we have to realize that we have to surrender those things. And hopefully you're not kicking against the goads, justifying your sins, turning off the alarms of the almighty when God is saying, kill it. You ignore it. Kill it. You ignore it. Deal with it. I'm not going to. Yes, deal with it. No. It's kind of like those alarms we hear on the cars or sometimes even at our house we hear the alarm across the street. You know, we're like, oh, it's just the is again, you know. And what happens over time? We learn to ignore the alarms of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we just we just can't do that. Or even worse... We got to make sure that we haven't lost our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit like leprosy, not even taking time really to examine our life and confess our sins. When was the last time you took some time in your prayer closet to confess your sins to God? You're like, well, Manny, I'm not Catholic. No, I'm not talking about going into the room right there and, you know, confessing to a priest. But you know, if you're not confessing your sins to God, Lord, I'm so sorry I said that to that person over there, Lord. I'm so sorry. I blew it today again as a as a dad, as a husband. This is exactly what I did, and I know it grieved you. When was the last time you did that? You know, a lot of times I think we're Christians, we're just like, God, forgive me of my sins and I worship you, thank you for the roses or whatever. And and that's okay, that's cool to do in one sense to worship God. But you know what, I think you need to get a little bit more specific than that because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of our sin when we're Christians because he wants to cleanse us and purify us. we got to make sure we don't have leprosy. There has to be a sensitivity to him. And then there's that supernatural repentance. And then God can move in our life. And, you know, basically all I'm saying is that we need to be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I was telling Joey about this. Have that personal relationship with him. You know, we hear of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's so true, we do. And, you know, I think a lot of us here can relate to having a relationship with our Father, and we do. But there's another member of the Trinity, and he's called the Holy, Holy Spirit. And he is there, wanting to fellowship with us. And so we come to this verse today And, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 is in the front of our bulletin. And I'm not sure if I've ever taught this verse here before, but since it's in the front of our bulletin, I probably should talk a little bit about that. Where it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I don't want to just tell you this so that you can have now some information. Our desire is that in studying these things, that there would be a transformation in our life. You know, Haggai, Zechariah, these guys were contemporary prophets. After the Babylonian captivity, God wanted to do a great work. And God used Zechariah, God used Haggai to encourage the people to rebuild the temple. You know, and it's kind of cool. I remember it wasn't that long ago that the men's ministry was uh, praying about changing the name of the men's ministry to under construction. And the thought behind it was that each one of us is a work in progress. Hopefully, prayerfully, day after day, more and more like Jesus, right? Sanctified, edified, being built up personally Each one of us is a work in progress. Now, some need more work than others, but you know, the Lord is doing the work, right? But that whole concept of construction, I think, is very valid. You know, and as we are here facing this today, I think it's so cool when you look at it, not only from a physical standpoint, but I think in the spiritual realm, we see a lot out of this chapter. And I don't know if you can get the visual there, but... Read again there in verse 1. It says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. Now some people say that Zechariah was tired after receiving the previous four visions. And sometimes when you're doing, you know, the work of the Lord, it does drain you. And so here he just, you know, he crashed. We don't know for sure. But anyways, in verse 2 it says, And he said to me, What do you see? And so I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. And so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, What are these, my Lord? An angel came, a messenger is sent from the Lord. Uh, To Zechariah with a series of visions. And he wakes him up out of his sleep and he asks Zechariah, okay, open your eyes, basically, what do you see? And Zechariah said, well, I'm looking, I'm looking. I see a a vision, I see a golden lampstand, and there's a bowl on top of it. And the golden lampstand has seven lamps, and so. It's your typical menorah. Most of you have probably seen that, right? But there are seven pipes to the seven lamps. I also see two olive trees, he said, one on each side of the bowl. And so he asks, what does it mean? (laughs) Now I was looking for a picture of this and maybe if there's some artist here that can draw this up, I think it would be cool to see that menorah right there, to see the bowl on top of it, to see the seven pipes going to each lamp within the menorah, and then you see the two olive trees on both sides of it. Now, we're going to see later that there's also two pipes going from the olive trees. It's a real interesting thing when you look at it. And so Zechariah says probably the same thing all of us would say. What in the world is that? You know, what does it mean? And so right here, the angel says in verse five, the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And so he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The angel says, You don't know. You, you should know. I mean, apparently in heaven they they know. <laughs> you, you don't know Uh Perhaps it was common knowledge to the angels, but Zechariah says, no, I don't know. And so the angel explains, well, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, it's kind of interesting, a little bit about Zerubbabel. He was born in Babylon. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because his name means born or sown in Babylon, now, Zerubbabel was the head of the tribe of Judah, or the prince, some call him, at the time of the return from the captivity. And he was instrumental in the building of the temple. We even read in Ezra 5, verse 2, it says, So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua the son of Josadak rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God who were with them, helping them. And so the angel says, this is the word of the Lord. It would be through Zechariah, but he says right here, I want you to talk to Zerubbabel. It's directed specifically to Zerubbabel. And, you know, right in the get-go, we see something kind of interesting, how personal God is, huh? You know, it kind of reminds me when the angel appeared to the woman there after Jesus has resurrected. I want you to go tell the disciples, and he specifically names Peter. To me, it's so cool the way that God is so personal and the way that God speaks to us. Here we see the Lord specifically speaks to Zechariah to tell him to tell a message to Zerubbabel. But we see here the meat of the message in which he says, not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, what exactly does that mean? I know we've heard it a million times. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, it's possible that the might and the power spoken of here are synonymous. Meaning that they're kind of the same thing, the might and the power. I think a lot of times when we read it, you know, on the surface, that's kind of what we think, the might and the power. It's just, you know, man's strength and and, and God's strength. And, And there's an element to that. But there's also a couple of other interesting views. I think when you dig a little deeper in the Hebrew, that I think help us to make sure that we don't function in the flesh, but that we operate in the spirit. The might and the power Uh, Warren Wiersbe said that the might is probably in reference to armies. You know, because when you go back to Solomon and when you go back to the days of David, that's kind of how they built the temple. It was the might of David, you know, the armies and, you know, David would conquer and he would gather all the materials and the provisions for the temple that Solomon built. And so, you know, Warren Risby says it's the might of the army together. It's the might of the soldier individually. And, you know, some might think that the bigger the church, man, the, the greater you know chances you have of making a dent in, in, in the world today. And so it's the people corporately and the people individually. And the Lord tries to communicate a message and say, listen, I'm not impressed with numbers. It's not by might the armies it's not by power that soldier he says it's by my spirit and for us to have that understanding to really know that it's got to be the Lord working in our life then you know it helps us a lot you know and that's a really solid view but i think there's another view that to me it really hit home as a matter of fact if you have an amplified bible or if you have a new living translation it really hits the target it says it's not by you know human will or human works but it's by my spirit says the lord he says it's not by humans forcing it and it's not by humans fleshing it it's by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. And to me, you know what? That just resonates within my heart because that's exactly what I see oftentimes in the church where people are trying to make it happen. They're going to force it, you know, and they're going to flesh it, you know, and, and they're going to, you know, my will, my will, not God's will. They're not waiting on the Lord to discover God's will. It's my will and my way. And God says, no, It's by my spirit. And I think when you look at that right there, it really makes a lot of sense. What we learn is that you should not and you cannot do effective ministry like that. We must do it God's way. And not only do we have to do it God's way, we need to make sure it's God's will even before we begin. It's got to be God's will and then God's way. You know, someone says, well, I'm going to start a church. Are you sure it's God's will? Yeah, why? Because we're going to teach the Bible. We're going to do it God's way. Cool. But is it God's will? See, that first must be established. You know, starting a church means it's got to be God's mission, God's man, God's team, God's timing, the city God chooses, the spirit God uses. Can't just be, I'm going to do it God's way. It's got to be God's will. You see, the angel tells Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God says, it's got to be me. You see, you want to use that building for God's glory? Cool, but it's got to be me. God says, it can't be your will, your way. I don't care how good you think you are. It must be God's will. God's way. And that's why it's so important for us to wait on the Lord. You know, for Zerubbabel in hearing this, I think it would be both a word of correction and also a word of encouragement. You now, like I said earlier, there had been a 16 year lapse in the building of the temple. And when you read Haggai, what had happened was they had all gotten swept away and caught up in their own lives. As a matter of fact, Haggai says that they were investing a lot of money in their own homes. says, you guys got nice panels and houses, and, and, and you know, the, one of the things that, and going to the, 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 What's it called again? Harvest you said this last weekend. You know, Mercy Me sang a couple of songs and the Holy Spirit just kind of used them in my life to remind me that this is not my home. And it just kind of hit deeper. And what the Lord gave me is just my personal conviction that from now on, I'm not going to talk about, you know, my you know address there where I live as my home anymore. That's not my home. It's not my home. That's not my home anymore. I'm not going to say that anymore. My home is in heaven. Here where these guys who were all caught up in their home, and their life, and their ways. And they were, man, they were putting their money behind there. And the Bible does say that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? And so that's what they were doing. And God says, listen, man, you got to understand that I want you to do a work. And you got to come back you got to come back to being sold out and surrendered and completely committed and crazy, radical, totally New Testament Christians. That's what I want. That's what God calls us to. That's what the Holy Spirit says clearly in His Word. And we need to live that life. We need to stop playing it safe. And when I say playing it safe, I don't mean, you know, not seeking God's will. But what I'm saying is that a lot of times you just, you know, there's got to be a step of faith, steps of faith, things that you do that you normally wouldn't do. God honors steps of faith. Faith means you don't have it all figured out. Faith means that in one sense, from the world's perspective, you're taking a risk. But when you take that step and you do something outside the box, this is what I've learned. God loves it. God honors it. And what God wanted these guys to do was to, hey, you know, get back to work, man. Get back to work. He gives them a visual here of who they were. You know, you're Joshua. You're Zerubbabel. You're the anointed olive tree. There you are. You're the anointed ones. And every single person here is anointed. You're anointed. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're part of the church to do something for God's glory. Make sure you don't get caught up in your own kingdom. There's something that God wants you to do. You have gifts that need to be exercised because what we find is that these two olive trees, they were the anointed ones. They were connected, connected to the Holy Spirit with a perpetual supply of oil. Now, it's kind of interesting. The lampstand represents Jesus. It represents Israel. It also represents the church. And really, the message here is that God had chosen Joshua and Zerubbabel, these anointed ones. And as the Holy Spirit was working in their lives in a radical way, that the church was benefiting from their surrender to the Spirit. And God said to you know Zerubbabel through Zechariah, This is who you are. Have you forgotten who you are? This is what I want you to do. It's a correction about the connection. And it was a word of encouragement. I'm telling you right now, the Lord says, I am going to finish the work. I'm going to finish the work. And I think for a lot of us here, we need that motivation. You know, when you read Haggai, the motivation is more along the lines of the fear of the Lord. But when you read Zechariah right here, I think the motivation is more along the love of the Lord. And what the Lord says right here in reading this is that Zerubbabel, Joshua, man, you're not alone. I want you to know that. He says, you may have been born in Babylon. You may have been there in a season of your life, caught in captivity, but you seize the opportunity for ministry And according to my will, I want you to know, you see it right here, I will be with you. There's a christening upon your life. There's a connection with the creator. There's that oil of anointing upon you. And I want you to know tonight that as you today take that next step of commitment, a deeper commitment to me tonight, that I want you to know that I will finish the work. The mountain that's in front of you, that mountain will be moved. The building will be built and all will be done for God's glory. You know, for Zerubbabel it was probably a word of encouragement to get up and get going. He said, you know what? You can carry on. Why? Because I will carry you. And maybe you're here tonight and maybe you need a word like Zerubbabel needed at that time in his life. You know, when it would have been discouraging. When he looks at the mountain. I mean, how do you move a mountain? The only way is through the Lord, right? You know, Van Tavner used to say, it's always too soon to quit. You know, and we quit on family. We quit in ministry. We quit Personally, you know, we get our eyes on ourselves and our limited ability or we get our eyes on him or her or stop following the Lord and developing a personal relationship with God. Why? Because we've got some pretty good mediators. We don't need God. Yes, you do. You need to follow the Lord and you need to cultivate a personal and intimate and powerful connection with the creator. These these pipes right here, they went to God. And we all need that personal relationship. We need to please Him, not man. God says, listen, take your eyes off yourselves, take your eyes off that saint or servant, fix your eyes on the Savior. And be sensitive to the Spirit. There's three ways to do things in ministry. One, you can do it. You do it. You might be good and you might go far, but you will fail in the end. You can do it. Or you can have the world's help. I'll get them to help me. She will help me. He will help me. That's the second way to do things. The third way to do things is to have it done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as He works in your life, I think it's so cool to surrender to Him. You know, for some of us here, I think it's a fresh revelation in which God says, in a fresh way, I want you to know that I'm with you. The Lord of hosts is with us. For some of us here, this message is a connection correction. Like I said, when you visualize all the connections going on right here, you realize, you know what, you're not connected. You're not plugged in. And God says, listen, you need to get connected. Every time I leave the house, almost every time, Shelly tells me, stay connected. And I know what that means, to have my cell phone on, you know, and make sure it's not on vibration. man. Because <laughs> when I call, I want you to answer. And God is saying the same thing to us. Stay connected. Don't put it on vibration. Make sure you've got that phone on. And you know, the Lord wants to lead our life in that way. Are you connected? I want to give you guys four things in closing today. That I think maybe you can write down and I think will help us. Because we really are in need of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Number one, believe. Believe. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's God. He lives in us as Christians. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He lives in you? That He's not an it? That He's not a force? But that He lives in you. God lives in you. And He's willing to fall upon us to fill us and empower us. Do you believe that? You know, I've talked to some guys. They gave up on their marriage. I'm like, what kind of God do you serve? You gave up on your marriage? Why? No biblical grounds whatsoever. Just, you know what, it's over. No, it's not over. Don't give up. God can give you the strength. You need to believe and also believe that you desperately need him and believe that he's made himself fully available. Whatever you do, don't despise the supernatural. God is able. Number one, believe. Number two, pray. Pray like you've never prayed before In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, <laughs> Acts chapter 13, they're fasting. Man, they were just praying. And there is a connection between your prayer life and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. you got to believe. If you believe, I believe you will pray. I may not understand the logistics of how it works, but I pray consistently, repeatedly, persistently, fervently, passionately, For the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, seek, ask, and knock. Keep praying. The Father will give you the Spirit. Number three, obey. Or, you know, you can say walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, do you have your walking shoes on? You know, when I'm in the flesh and... You guys, you can recognize when you're walking in your own strength, right? You can, you're walking in your, in your own flesh. You feel agitated. You feel frustrated. Um, there's a lot of things going on. You're, you're, you know, you're not thinking right. You're not speaking right. You're not making right decisions. Right there and then, there it is. It could be you know the third hour of the day. Stop and change your shoes. Stop right there and say, Lord, help me to walk. In the Spirit. Right there and then. You know, when you know that things in your life are are not what they should be. They're just normal. God is not doing any mighty works in your life. Or things are not just normal, but they're wrong. You need to stop and drop to your knees. Bent and repent. So that the Lord can do a work. You know, the enemy comes in with that lie. The flesh chips in and says, I. The critics speak out and say, why? Thank God for his grace. Because he should say, die. Huh. I was talking to the Lord yesterday. I was saying, Lord, thank you for not killing me. Thank you for not giving me hell. All of us here deserve that. All of us here deserve to be put on the shelf. And you know it. Huh. None of us here is worthy, not one. It's the Lord. Huh? You see, we need to endeavor to do these things. We need to believe. Do you really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit available to you so that God can do mighty works? And And if you do, I believe you're going to pray like crazy. You are going to pray passionately like Jesus did. And then you're going to obey. You're going to walk in the Spirit, right? And then the the fourth thing and the last thing is this. And it's kind of the same. They all kind of work together, but that is to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Six times we read about them being filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled with the Spirit, to be under His influence. You know, we're uh, vessels, unfortunately, that constantly leak in that aspect. Not that the Holy Spirit is some type of physical substance, but we need a fresh anointing. As a matter of fact, it's kind of cool. I was reading in my devotional reading yesterday, Psalm 92, verse 10. He says, But my horn you you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. I like that. I think we need fresh oil in our life. Real quick, as far as being filled, um, a few things about that. Number one, we need to be emptied. Emptied of presumptuous, rebellious sin. That's poison. If there's any sin in your life, if there's anything that you won't let go of, God says, listen, you need to be emptied of that. That is poison for you as God's people. Number two, we need to be emptied of weights or junk food. You know, those things that really, sometimes they fill our heart and we're not hungry for God anymore. Why? Because if you already had Fritos and potato chips and ice cream, the things that really, um, they might be permissible, but they don't build you up. And then the third thing is to be emptied of self. My own abilities and my own righteousness. Is there any trace of that left? Are you really emptied of sin and emptied of weights and emptied of self and your own abilities and righteousness? Because when you are emptied of those things, then now you are open for the Spirit to come in. You know, the Spirit comes in and we overcome our fears. Why? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, Timothy was trapped in timidity. We read that in 2 Timothy one seven, But by the Spirit of God, we can allow our fears to flee. By the Spirit, we see our own righteousness as rags. And by the Spirit, we can accomplish a ministry that in these days that we live in brings God glory. You know, Francis Chan was talking about how, you know, one of the one of the things i guess you could say we could do specifically is confronting each other uh, one of the aspects and he was talking about how the spirit has given us gifts for the common good of all and and that's true you know we need to function and exercise our gifts for the benefit of the body but the primary reason that you and i should be faithful to our father the primary reason is for the glory of God. And as we do that, and as we live that life, then I really believe um, you will see radical things happen. You will see changes take place. You know, I'll close with one last quote from Vance Havner. Because a lot of times I think that we're not really walking in the Spirit And, you know, I can sometimes see it, maybe you can, and other people, and you get so grieved. You're like, man, you know, I was talking to my kids on the way over here today and just trying to really make sure that we're here for the right reasons. And we're here to seek the Lord. You know, we're not here to look good. We're not here um, for other reasons, a social setting. You know, some guys come, you know, to find a girlfriend. You know, and if that's you, and if you're here to find a girlfriend, then, then please leave. Don't come back. Some girls come to find a boyfriend. That's wrong. That's not what this is about. We are here to find the Lord. We are here that He would change our life. We're not here for our own reasons. God wants to do a work. We really need it to be him, though, and not us. Vance Havner says, We say we depend upon the Holy Spirit, but actually we are so wired up with our own devices that if the fire does not fall from heaven, we can turn on a switch and produce false fire of our own. If there is no sound of a rushing mighty wind, we have the furnace set to blow hot air instead. God save us from a synthetic Pentecost. You know, I know it's tough, man. But you guys, we've really got to make sure that we walk in the Spirit, that we're surrendered to Him, that we have a relationship with the Lord. And as we surrender to Him, as we allow it to be Him and and not us, as we just let God take over, And you will see the benefits of that, man. We will see that in our life. And so, Lord, we just come before you. We thank you, Lord, that as a congregation, Lord, we can. Lord, I know you love uh, the men, the women that are here tonight, Lord God. And I thank you so much for that unmerited favor, that grace, that love that falls on us. But Lord, I pray that, Lord, as you're working in us and as the Holy Spirit, Lord, is convicting us and asking us to yield certain areas and just ways about us that uh, have been here for too long, Lord, that we would. That we would no longer, you know, get by in our own, you know, motions, Father. We know how to play church. We know how to do that. But, Father, that it would be truly you working in our lives. We need you desperately, Lord. We don't want a synthetic Pentecost. We don't want to have the capacity to turn on a switch and you know, bring some type of fire or wind. Lord, we really do want it to be you. And so, Lord, I pray that it would not be by might nor by power. Lord, not our will, not our way. Lord, not the armies corporately, not any one individual man or woman, but Lord, I beg of you, let it be you in all of our lives in this church. We do love you, Lord. We do thank you. And we look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.